0: This is Mahesh, and this is Juan, and welcome to this episode of the Perfecting the Formula podcast. We're here to talk about the Santiago E. our post-race analysis on what was, by anyone's judgment, a crazy and wacky race from start to finish.
1: It was pretty crazy and kept me on my feet. Also, I was watching it while I was on the treadmill, so there's a thing. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you were already on your feet, Juan. That's cheating. <laughs> That's cheating. God, so fit. I say this after I've run three miles. <laughs> yeah, I'm a sweaty boy in a recording studio right now. This is not going well for Juan. Probably smells me uh, all the way across the studio. Uh,
1: I was in the gym earlier, so we're good.
0: <laughs> Jeez, rip whoever uses this after us. So, all right, let's start with our usual. One word to describe the race, Juan.
1: Uh, may sound very odd controversial but it actually makes sense in the grand scheme of things trump because of walls
0: (laughs) (laughs) i will build the wall that everyone's going to crash into oh my god (laughs) now i said something i was just gonna say mistakes but uh i like yours better trump yeah so uh juan what do you want to start off with then um
1: i just want to say after last time we were bashing on people crashing out on the first lap Surprisingly, the first two laps were pretty clean. Yeah, you know, uh, first lap was clean. First two laps
0: were clean. uh, But uh, that did not uh, stay the course. This was a a race of attrition.
1: Yeah, it was pretty brutal. Um, It all started with our first fatality of um, Tom Dillman, who just seemed to have power issues all of a sudden.
0: Yeah, I think that there was just like, I think that's one thing you see with Formula E more. It's just, you know, when you're dealing with electronics, it's harder to diagnose the issue. I mean, we saw that in Formula One with the introduction of the hybrid engines. Yeah. It's just uh, bound to cause more issues. Uh, yeah, the position where he stopped, though, was so precarious. Um, but I guess there was enough distance off the turn that they didn't feel the need to do a VSC, and or not a VSC, but a full course yellow. But, uh, yeah, they, he got started up pretty up, uh, pretty quick. So, thankfully, it didn't end up being a safety car. That would have been uh, very annoying uh, for there to be a safety car that early in the race. It would screw with energy management for the rest of the race.
1: Uh, probably would have helped with ener- energy management if they had a full course halo for some of the teams. But st- talking about energy management. <laughs> I believe uh,
0: <laughs> I owe an apology to a certain racing driver after our... Uh, pre-race conversation to be fair i wasn't completely off grounds he hadn't had a lot of experience with energy so we're talking about pascal Warline. for those of you that missed our pre-race chat you should definitely go check it out to hear us being fools with our bold predictions um we'll get into that later but um I, during our pre-race chat i may have gone off on a semi-rant slash lecture on how pascal Warline. he referred to energy management as easy after dnfing less than 10 laps into the race and so i said that he was boldly making these claims with no firm basis at all and he was just a crappy formula one driver now in formula e they really shouldn't be making these statements blah 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 i'm not going to go into how wrong i was uh so then uh looking to this race uh had loads of energy at the end to push and
1: yeah got, go after um, bird the last lap um sam bird had about 4% and Pascal Verline had about 6 or 7% left.
0: Yeah, so twice as much. Uh so yeah, I clearly uh was in the wrong. I apologize to Pascal Verline if he is one of our uh 25 listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. Uh it was rude, I guess, but uh good job on your race. I mean, B2. Not bad. Uh, so only a second race, so P2 off the second race, we're seeing the Formula 1 pedigree come into their own, and that's a good, strong finish uh, for Pascal. Due in no small part, apparently, to energy management, which he, I guess he is allowed to say is easy. <laughs> I, just, I just don't understand how he says it's easy still, though. like I, feel, I don't know if he's bragging
1: or if he legitimately thinks it's easy because when Formula 1, they do have to do some regenerating with their hybrid system but so maybe, yeah but
0: that's like a setting button it's not a panel like like, like you just change your your use setting like it's like you do it with fuel mix too you change the fuel mix that you're using but it's not like a paddle you're pulling constantly before every turn mm-hmm. it's a dramatically different system at least from my understanding
1: of it so maybe the concept was easy he just had to get used to the different settings
0: yeah, I guess it's just a uh, different mode used. But, I mean, good on him. Good showing by uh, Mahindra as a whole. I mean, a finish in second and a finish in 10th. Jerome, I mean, starting P20, finishing in 10th, not a bad uh, not bad at all. I mean, you saw some good uh, come from behind drives. Robin Franks, uh good one as well, 15th to 5th. Uh, Oliver Turvey, 18th to 8th. Uh, just uh, some good recovery
1: drives by uh, drivers throughout the field. But also did it. Heard that there was eight DNFs. Eight DNFs, people.
0: See, here's my thing when you DNF. Like, after you see the first guy DNF, don't you learn um, not to, you know, DNF? Like, just, you know that's a place where crashes are happening. Take it easy. There were some instances, though, where it's just, uh, it was out of the driver's control. I think one of them, that was Felipe Massa, who got just run into the wall. I didn't see a single way for him to escape that scenario.
1: Yeah, there wasn't. And
0: uh, Oliver Rowland was just, like, ballsy this race, I feel like, just shoving people left and right. But that was my opinion on it. Also, um, Lucas Degrassi went from 22nd to 12th, which I guess is good. I just expected something better from him on a recovery drive.
1: Yeah, he went from, where was he sitting at? right? He after, was, he I was, think he was sitting on third for, right after qualifying, but due to technical issues, they pushed him to the back.
0: Yeah, the the I'm telling you these. There are teams that would be vying for constructor spots, and that would be much closer to the top or in the top spots if they hadn't done very very stupid mistakes. But uh, you know it happens. Uh, you do get a technical violation. I mean, good on him for figuring it out. But uh, yeah, um, technical violations can kill you. So that was one part of the race was. Uh, me of having to apologize for my rant on Pascal. It's I get it. It won't happen again. Yikes! Uh, let's talk I about. I doubt it. <sighs> there's
1: always something gonna happen. Oh, honestly,
0: let's talk about Sebastian Buemi. All right. What the fuck?
1: Yeah, he was doing good, and all of a sudden he just dropped the ball at the end and DNF.
0: I mean, I just see it, I would feel. I would understand. That's a hard chicane. You're coming in on a fast turn into a hard chicane. Uh, have to have to time your entry perfectly. Make sure you don't lock up the brakes. It's a very narrow chicane, uh, very Azerbaijan. What is that turn? Turn eight or something like that in the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Very um, Azerbaijani in that there's only um, room for one car to go through. It's a difficult chicane. You got to name it, nail it perfectly so I can understand crashing out there once, but you crashed out there in practice. You should learn from your mistake. Also, the reasoning being carrying in too much speed Just, I under, like, you're under pressure, but it was also just, you had to, it's better to finish second than not finish at all.
1: Right. Um, Who knows? Yeah, he probably could have finished second based on Verlin's issues towards the end. He probably, he definitely couldn't pass him if he kept up those temperature issues. But did you miss that jigsaw puzzle that came apart moments before his, uh, Sebastian Bohemi's crash? With uh, Stoffel Von Dahl.
0: Oh my god, Stoffel Waffle. So, okay, before we get into this, like like in terms of exactly what happened with Stoffel's crash, I just want to rewind to our pre-race chat where I boldly predicted that the three Formula One drivers, Felipe Massa, Stoffel Van Dorn, and... Um, and, uh... Why am I suddenly Pascal, Pascal <laughs> Rolein. The man I just apologize to uh would all finish in the top 10 and one of them would have a fastest lap they all qualified in the top 10 were racing in the top 10 and then two of them dnf i'm i'm just fairly confident now that my bold predictions for the rest of the year are just gonna have jinxing powers (laughs) i just have the power i have the commentator's curse
1: well you have to realize that these three are coming from formula one um and they're not used to r- driving on street circuits that are cl- this closed off. So most of their circuits are... But Monaco.
0: I mean, there's not a lot of room in Monaco. There's not room to pass in Monaco, period. Which is why it's such a shitty race to watch. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, I guess on the day-to-day, they typically have loads of track space. Like, you look at Koda, they have, like, you can go four wide. They have gone four wide. So yeah. yeah, I think it's a very different vibe, and I guess that's why they're crashing out. But damn.
1: But but Stoffel's Crash, back to Stoffel's Crash. (laughs) Stoffel's Crash was a little more interesting because, in a way, yes, it's his fault, but also the tracks started coming apart.
0: Yeah, I think this is very reminiscent of, speaking of Monaco, I think it was Monaco, was it this past year or the year before? It was either 2018 or 2017, where that manhole lid came up and started ruining and started taking out cars.
1: There was another track that, that happened to the Haas team as well.
0: Yeah, that happened during practice, but this was during the race that the oh. manhole cover came up um, and started messing. And it just reminded me of that, that the track started coming apart. So you can't really blame Stoffel on this one. That's just luck of the draw. But, I mean, you, there's always going to be one driver that gets caught out by those. So the track hazard situations in general, what I've come to realize uh, by after being a fan of racing for you know 17 years, is just there's gonna be moments where with track hazards it's just one driver has to be caught out one driver has to take the hit for all of the other drivers on the grid to know exactly what the track hazard is and to figure (laughs) it out because the odds of a of an engineer or someone on the team catching a track hazard just by a camera randomly panning over it is so low it i i it took me a while to notice it even after they had mentioned it i was i was just confused as to where exactly yeah but the track started coming apart um that's the risk with these street circuits. I mean, a track is designed to handle the stress of cars going hundred hundred plus miles an hour over them and high G forces and immense grip. But and I think it was the heat that really caught out the track. Yeah,
1: heat and lateral forces. So most streets are for you know, they're more linear with the vehicle.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. The lateral forces are what caught it Also, did you see, like, the number of different surfaces on this street circuit? There's just so many surface transitions from, like, asphalt back to concrete to, like, there was... You could literally see the separation of the two squares of concrete in areas that were causing bumps for the drivers.
1: Yeah, I think that that adds a little more uh, more interesting driving, fourth only, which I really like. Next up, we're driving on brick. <laughs>
0: Just see cars. Put them in the streets of Rome. Oh, my God. I mean, the Rome E-Pri, I was so upset to find out that part of it wasn't over cobblestone. I was just like, <laughs> I want to see what happens. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, track falling apart, definitely non Stoffel's fault. But um, what were some big disappointments for you in this race? What were you just amazingly um, shocked by that didn't pan out the way you thought it would?
1: Well, f- once I saw the qualifying, I, I was pretty... Heartbroken when two of the three form- recent Formula E transfers just dropped significantly to the rear after their terrible incidents. Yeah, and,
0: yeah, that was a heartbreaking moment for me as well.
1: But having uh, Pascal Verlijn towards the top just, you know, gave, gave everybody light of hope that, you know, um, hopefully people don't look at Formula E as the driver's last stairway to heaven moment. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that show, this shows that, you know, there's more competition here, you know, instead of most drivers coming up through the ranks of uh, GP2, Formula 3, Formula Renault, all those other different races that they should look more towards maybe transferring over into Formula E as well, rather than just Formula 1 being the last stop for them.
0: Yeah. And I think just a true case study or like a true like point that Formula E is just so amazingly competitive is that you have two different teams that are in the top three for the Constructors' Championship that got zero points in one of their three races. Zero. Zilch, nada. Those weren't due to team incidents. Those were just due to they didn't finish in the top ten. Mm-hmm. They didn't crash into each other. They didn't take each other out. They just both didn't finish in the top ten. And when's the last time you can say that happened in Formula One, that like that in the first three races, two of the top three teams got zero points in a race? It shows that you can like completely screw up one track and then come back and destroy it the next. And that's just, I think, the amazing part of Formula E is just that all of these teams are competitive. And, I mean, I don't... I think there's one team still with zero points? Or, yeah. Yeah, HWA. It's their first um, season, so they just need to get track time. But there's only one team with zero points. I mean, and that's pretty amazing. In a grid of 22, in Formula 1, you're vying for four points, basically, if you're not the top three teams. Like, four points paying positions. But here, everyone's vying for the top ten. You never know who's going to turn out in the top 10.
1: Also, some of the things that work in Formula E for anybody to get points is, you know, pole position, fastest lap.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what got Sebastian any points in this race. Granted, it's 22 points less than, or actually 25 points uh, less than, uh, in, uh, than, uh, 25 points less than anyone, than he would have if he had won the race, but, um. Wow, my mind just went completely blank there for a second.
1: (laughs) What is English? I was like, what is
0: English? This is why you don't run right before a podcast, people. The lack of oxygen to your brain. Um, But yeah, so my biggest disappointment uh, for me in this race was definitely Diaz de Cheetah. I had really high hopes for them for this race. They scored 29 points in round one. Round two, they scored 18 points. Everyone said they were a fast car. Everyone expected a lot of them. Zero points. I mean, that dropped them. Now they're third in the championship standings, a solid 24 points behind the leader. And uh, that was kind of disappointing. Mahindra seems to be the consistent group, though. I mean, 15 points round one, 25 points round two, 19 points round three. So I think we'll see Mahindra maintain its consistency. But I was just really disappointed with Tachita. I mean, if we take a look at the drivers and where they finished this race, if we just pull that up really quickly... Um, we can take a look at just how the zero point thing just panned out. I mean, I don't think anyone would have predicted zero points for Tachita going into this race. Would you have?
1: No, um, but even looking at um, Virgin Racing, they didn't score anything at all, and they're in top of the lead right now.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So it could easily be turned over in a race or two.
0: Yeah, they didn't score anything in their first race, but now they but in this race, I mean, you get twenty five points from winning and ten points from fifth place, so. 35 points in one race is a big swing uh this early in the game so we'll see how that turned out but like yeah tichita john eric verne dnfing i think really hurt that was a big hit um but andre laura starting 14th and finishing 13th does not compute in my mind (laughs) like first of all why are you starting 14th qualify better second of all drive man He's one of, he's such an aggressive driver. I just don't understand how he didn't get hired. I get Lucas Degrassi was in front of you, but uh, I mean.
1: I think he did pit maneuver someone and he broke his front end camera. I'm trying to remember. It was I thought
0: that was Sam Bird, but it might. Yeah, I think lateral might have found it, but still, I mean, even with damage. I mean, look at the people in front of him. You had freaking Nelson PK jr. Who I'm still not sure knows how to drive a car. <laughs> I am not confident in his drive. I don't think he knows how to drive. You see some of the stupidity he has when racing. You're just like, do you do you drive? Can I see your license? Do you have your super license? I mean, him and then I I guess like Alexander Sims starting eighth and finishing seventh was also a bit of a shock. BMW did not do well. And what do you think was the cause of that? Just suddenly fall off a cliff when you hit Santiago?
1: Um, I don't know what... I thought they would have been closer to the top. I, I predicted one of them being number three, but that didn't happen. Um, ooh, that, that was almost bad. <laughs> Juan just almost dropped his laptop. Okay, so uh, DaCosta just uh, DNF'd.
0: Yeah, I think that was when BMW realized that their hopes were gone. No no offense to Sims, but he's a fairly new driver. DaCosta has the experience he would have charged through. And...
1: I. I have no clue exactly what happened, but Audi. Well, at least the only prediction I had was having Audi as a one-two. They they barely crept onto number three, so Uh, half a point for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, seriously. I mean, Audi. Audi just. I don't know what's happening with them. I think we all expected more coming into this season from Audi and from Nissan Nissan EDAMs, which they were going to show out big this race if Wayme could have, you know, not crashed. But he did, so they didn't. So, I mean, like, I think those are two teams that we've expected more and have constantly fallen short of. Mahindra's in a position now where they just need to keep pace. I think that the team order of keep your position was a smart one. Though the race engineer... Let's actually just talk about that for a second. That was an interesting team interaction that I saw where the team boss of Mahindra Racing was saying, hold position, we want second. But then the race engineer was saying, push, push, push. <laughs> I mean, so you, you're not you're part of a racing team. What would cause that kind of discrepancy within the team?
1: Usually, um... We are planning to have our racing team captain here, but... Uh in a few weeks, uh, that'll be for the Formula One testing episode. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, but yeah, for the I uh, think it's just driver ignorance. If um, we look back into one of the Formula E, not Formula E, Formula One, that same thing happened with the slipstream of Danny Ricciardo and Verstappen. Uh, Danny was supposed to pull be uh, supposed to take lead, but he wanted to have um, Verstappen as lead so he could take uh, take the tailwind off that.
0: Yeah, but at least at that point, it was only, like, a driver disagreement, and the race engineer and the team boss were on the same page. This okay. is the first time I've seen, like, conflict within the pit wall. It's like, it, I've never seen a race engineer go against the team boss. I've seen <laughs> drivers do it all the time, because drivers don't know when to f- fucking shut up and just listen to their boss. But, I mean, that was just interesting for me.
1: Botas, but that's a different story. We are not going
0: to talk about Valtteri Botas. Uh. <laughs> No, you know what? We are going to (laughs) talk about Valtteri, but I've decided we are doing a Formula One digression for the next two minutes. Valtteri, Valtteri, my child, my child, grow some balls. You are a racing driver. If you give away your first place every time the team wants you to, you are teammates with Lewis Hamilton. You cannot sit idly by. You will never get a championship that way. You must fight. Fight for every place every second, every millimeter of track space, because they are not going to give it to you. You are racing for Mercedes-Benz. They may say they don't do a number one and number two driver, but they do. If you drove for Ferrari, I will tell you the same thing. If you drove for Red Bull, then I'd say, fine, listen to your team because they're never going to do one-two bullshit, but I'm sorry you drive for a one-two team. You gotta fight them. You can't sit idly by, especially if it's only for championship points. Like, that was for driver's standings. They can't tell me it was because of a blister on a fucking tire. Really? It's, you're going up against Ferrari, who has a strategy disaster every three seconds. No. You gotta fight, my
1: man. But I still find it funny that Voltas went and inspected that tire. Oh my
0: god, yeah. He gets out of there and like, hmm, interesting. That's a tire blister? Intriguing. No, I mean, fight, goddammit. But yeah. That was a
1: digression. Okay, so back to Mahindra.
0: Back to Mahindra. No, I think the team boss was trying to keep the points, which is a smart move in this case. But, I mean, Pascal's a racing driver. I think the race engineer was also just in the adrenaline rush, which is why he was telling Pascal to push. I I probably would have, too. Yeah, he had attack mode. But, I mean, after yeah, honestly, right? But, uh, I mean, once his attack mode ran out, he did
1: back off. So, it wasn't a huge issue. And then he started having temperature issues. That's when, actually, his race engineer reined him in as well.
0: So, this is actually when I want to get back to him saying energy management is easy. There's a sneaking suspicion in my mind that the reason um, his engine was heating up is because he regen too much. I don't think it was following distance. I mean, we see Formula E cars follow like that for an entire race and they don't get heating issues. I genuinely... And he was pulling out for cooling. So if it was just for following distance, I think that the uh, pulling out on the straights would have solved it. More than solved it. But I think he was regening too much. And I think that's why he had so much energy at the end that he could use to push is just he was pulling the regen paddle too often because that will heat up because you're reversing... What you're essentially doing there is for people who don't quite understand how regen works, so your motor moves in a certain direction when you're driving along. When you coast, your motor stops moving, so that's why they initially do a coast. Then when you do a regen, what it does is it reverses the direction of the engine, the motor basically. It basically reverses... uh, Juan's the engineer. He can probably... No, so
1: what happens is the motor creates... uh, Some kind of resistance. So you go from um, the motor driving your tires. Your tires are forcing the energy back into the motor because it's creating a resistance. So
0: Yeah, it reverses
1: the flow basically.
0: And so one way you can kind of think about this is how sometimes when you're charging your laptop, your laptop will get hot. Like it's just kind of that whole concept of charging something will get it hotter, but it's also that whole reversal a flow that always heats up the engine when you regen. So regen causes your engine to heat up. So what Formula E drivers are doing when they're driving along is they're trying to find this happy balance between conserving energy and not killing their car. Um, so I think what we saw with Pascal was energy management may be easy, but engine temperature management certainly isn't.
1: So there's one thing. It's summer in um, down in South America. So let's see how it plays out in Mexico where it's winter and it's a little cooler up in the mountains of, or the high elevation of Mexico city. But so we may see, see, but so uh, it may be, you know, as you're saying it's region issue. So if we see it, that happen again in um, Mexico, it might be a different issue.
0: But, um, my thought on this though, is I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but from my layman's perspective, with no engineering background. Um, I feel like an extra, ex, From at least in Formula 1, definitely, they never discuss engine temperature when they're talking about outdoor temperature because your engine is operating at such a high temperature that, like, oh, it's 90 degrees outside. That's fine because my engine's operating at 1,000 degrees. But it's just like, that's it. Well, an, then,
1: why would they race at night in some of the... Middle Eastern countries.
0: <laughs> so I always thought it was a tire thing. So it does affect engine. So the outdoor temperature will have significant uh, implications on engine temperature.
1: Both and well, also tires. So if you notice, they do lose grip over time. And
0: this is the first Formula E race where I've seen tires become an issue, and I'm really excited to see what future it holds.
1: I'm hoping they actually change their tire strategy on uh, Formula E. Oh, so... to
0: do multiple tire change to do tire changes.
1: Yes. I don't know uh, how I feel or about it. May, maybe not tires changes, but maybe change the tire design to have more grip.
0: I would, more grip, but higher degradation?
1: I don't know about higher degradation. Maybe whatever makes it e or more competitive. So the one thing
0: I like about Formula E's tires is that it fits with the ethos of the racing series, right? Like it's the whole jazz about... Um, it's the whole idea that like you're not going to change tires because we're saving the environment. There's no such thing as wet weather tires because we don't want to waste additional rubber. So it's probably really hard to get additional grip on a tire that's built also for the rain. I would be interested in higher grip in exchange for degradation because that would mean tire conservation plays more of a role.
1: So I wonder, um, I wonder what would happen if we put some of those tires. um, I'm trying to remember the racing series. that has low profile tires. That actually have some kind of grip. I'll remember this later. Anywho. LMP1? Possibly.
0: Yeah, I think it might be LMP1. I have to go look. Uh, If you know, please shout out on our Instagram page if you have any uh, ad perfecting the formula. We're on Instagram. Uh, Or or, Twitter. Or Twitter. But that is not our Twitter handle. Don't use our Twitter yet. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) Fun story about our Twitter. It actually got banned for a hot minute because they thought I was a Russian bot. (laughs) <laughs> we will get up and running on twitter in a second y'all but for now you can use our instagram also feel free to send us questions on our instagram like and we'll try and get them answered also juan's part of the formula sae team here at southern methodist university and he can he has lots of friends that know a lot more about the engineering aspect
1: about this so we yeah. can. so uh for me i do the electrical on the racing team so
0: this is why he's great at this Formula E stuff. He's all about the electrical life. Whereas me, when I was sitting in physics, e and I was like, the devil's work. This is the devil. It is the devil. That's what E&M is. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think this race, though, back to the race. We're going back to the race, y'all. Sorry for the digression. we will get used to it after about three more episodes. <laughs> 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 but um, I think uh, this race was just action-packed. I mean, and I thought after Marrakesh would be in for a slightly quieter. Calm race. Let's all just get to the end. But no, eight DNFs. Trump showed his hand with his walls, his goddamn walls, just everyone crashing into them. I mean, how much do you think track design had to do? Because this has a very unique track design.
1: I think it did play a big part of it. Um, Not only the design of the circuit, but the design of the actual road. Yeah. Which, you know, the materials maybe didn't hold up as well to all the different um, forces acted upon it from the vehicle.
0: Yeah, and we're complaining that it affected a race, but can you imagine some dude who daily commutes on that? Dude or girl, or, or non-identifying people.
1: I still think Formula Women is a dumb mistake, and they should put their money to actually put women drivers into different formulas. But oh my different. god, creating a women's <laughs> initiative makes
0: zero sense. What you're saying, creating a women's racing series, we're going to digress on this now <laughs> for the next couple minutes. For, creating a women's series is literally the most anti feminist thing i can think of or we're not going to really well like in my mind i don't want to speak on the feminism movement as a whole but what i think in my mind is that that doesn't really make a lot of sense because then you're saying that women aren't welcome in the normal racing series which i don't give a flying hoot if marcus erickson can drive a car you any woman can drive it <laughs> any person on the earth a two-year-old could drive better than Ericsson. god i hate that controversial opinion please shout us out on instagram if you hate us now <laughs> uh but uh but yeah like oh god that was such a stupid idea and also getting rid of grid girls that pissed off more people than
1: it made people happy i think it should be handled case by case on the country i think each track should have the decision because anyway, i think in texas we had the dallas cheerleaders
0: because <laughs> when in texas cowboys cheerleaders have to be fucking everywhere uh, <laughs> fuck me
1: i uh, ran into them in korea but that's a different story <laughs> oh my
0: god we will get into that next episode i want to know but uh back with uh, what we were saying but yeah can you imagine the track being broken some poor bloke who commutes on it we're complaining how it affected race now some poor blokes commute is rude every single day
1: because yeah road construction you, but yeah have you driven through dallas <laughs> Often. i mean
0: yeah okay <laughs> there, there, there's so um denver or or detroit people always make a joke saying that their roads are so shitty that the army uses them as a testing grounds for uh um for iraq so they test the humvees in, De- in detroit because the roads are that shitty the running <laughs> joke in dallas is that our roads are so shitty that um the army doesn't use us because they say no n- even iraq doesn't have roads that are this bad <laughs> But, yeah, so, Juan, any last thoughts to wrap this episode
1: up? Um, that's a runoff areas question mark? <laughs> right, runoff areas question mark, uh, a thought, a
0: concept? Uh, for me, I'm going to quote uh, Cars 3 on, You have hit a wall. You have hit a wall. And on that note, thank you for listening to this lovely episode of our post-race analysis of the Santiago Epre. I'm Mahesh. And I'm Juan. And thank you for listening to Perfecting the Formula.